Welcome back to the Monitor Sports Podcast. Eric Vincent LaBelle here with Dan Atori. We skipped last week for Thanksgiving weekend. Hope everyone had a great Thanksgiving, even if it might be a little bit late to still say that as we start the first full week of December. Dan, great to be back with you as we get prepared for the winter season. Absolutely, Eric. I hope you had a, a great holiday. It's good to have you back in, in New Hampshire. Yeah, uh, we're excited. We've got a lot of sports coming up uh, this winter. Definitely a lot to discuss. So we'll spend the first part of the show going through some of the winter sports to look forward to, and Dan will get you caught up on everything you need to know on that front. The second half of the show, I talked with Kyle Schofield, who is the head uh, or head of recruiting and retaining uh, of referees for the New Hampshire Football Officials Association. Kyle himself is a football official, and he'll talk a little bit about some of the challenges that high school officials through across all sports are having now because of significant shortages. And this isn't a super new issue, but I'm going to have a story that is supposed to be in Tuesday's paper uh, about the referee shortage at the high school level and the challenges that it is causing for high school athletics. So uh, Kyle will fill you in on a lot of what you need to know about that. A little change of pace as we're kind of between seasons thought it would be a good idea to get a different voice beyond just a coach or athletic director on, on the podcast. So looking forward to everyone getting a chance to hear that. But first, Dan, winter sports are officially underway. Friday marked the beginning of the Division Four basketball season, and I know you got a firsthand look at Concord Christian getting its season underway. Yes. Yeah. So it's a it's a very slow rollout to the winter season, um, which, you know, the, the fall season, everything with the exception of golf starting a little early and football starting the, the weekend after Labor Day, pretty much everything starts at the same time, uh, ends around the same time. Um, the spring season is wild because everything is starting at the same time in March, late March, and then everything has to be done. Um, early June because school is ending for the year. Um, but the winter season is is very spread out. We had events, as you say, start Friday night with Division Four basketball. And then we'll have some sports that are going to be done, you know, like swimming, indoor track. I mean, that'll be done second week of February for the most part. And then we could have hockey championships that are being played like March 18th, I think is the date those are slated for. So it's a long season. It's a very slow rollout. I thought going over this would be a good idea because the winter season is kind of weird. We we have hockey and basketball, your kind of traditional team sports. Um, but we have a lot of things like we have a lot of co-op teams. We have a lot of independent athletes. We have a lot of teams where there might be like two teams and one kind of thing. We have like add-ons for some sports, a lot of weird stuff. So I felt like it would be a good thing to to go over. So as you said, Friday night was the beginning of division four basketball. I was at Concord Christian Academy watching the defending finalist Concord Christian boys basketball team open the season with a very impressive 82 to 62 win over Portsmouth Christian. It is nice that the basketball seasons are, are staggered by division. So division four has kind of its own week to, you know, have some games and before everything else starts. 
So that was a great game. I had spoken to the Conquer Christian boys coach, Eric Heiser, for the D4 basketball preview. And uh, Conquer Christian, very strong last year. And um, missing uh, a couple of key players, including last year's Division Four Player of the Year, Isaac Jarvis, due to graduation, but should still be a strong team again this year. And that was a very fun game to watch. That game story is online um, and was in print uh, today. I believe. So Division 4 hoops started. Saturday bowling started. Eric, we have varsity bowling in the state of New Hampshire. I know we're not the only sport to have it, although I did not know until just now that you are familiar with varsity bowling uh, due to your, your high school in New York having it. Yeah, uh, my sister is actually on the bowling team. You thought bowling would be unique, but actually it's not. My sister was a big bowling uh we, we, we honestly made fun of her when she first uh, tried out for it, but she turned out to be really good. So uh, she could bowl. I don't know what, uh, maybe in the 160s, 170s. Oh, wow. Uh, so way better than me. I don't think I could even crack 100. But uh, uh, I think that's be- certainly better than anything I've I've ever bowled. Uh, we only have two teams in our coverage area that do it, Hillsborough Deering and Coe Brown. Um, so not teams that are especially close to us and they do not bowl at any venues in our immediate area. They um, there's maybe think four venues across the state that host NHIAA varsity bowling, but not Batwells and Concord, nothing like that. Um, we don't usually get the results in just because the um, NHIAA usually doesn't post them in a very timely manner. And the way the results are, they're sort of hard to, organized like there's baker points and then there's i think called standard points maybe i don't know if it's it might be a different scoring system than what um than what new york used um but anyway we do have we do have bowling and we'll certainly get the uh championship results in there when when that happens later on in the year so bowling is underway monday we have our first swim meet of the season we have uh Bo and bishop brady that are competing in a swim meet hosted by Bedford. Um, so those will be the beginning of swim results. I think mid-December, um, when the Concord YMCA hosts a swim meet with all local teams, that will probably be a, a, a preview for our swim season, if you will. But we will have some swim results starting coming in on Monday. Wednesday is the beginning of wrestling. Eric, are you are you? familiar with wrestling are you a fan of wrestling or swimming to sort of not non not your traditional team sports i always uh love watching the the swimming during the summer olympics that's usually my favorite as for a lot of people i think favorite event to watch so i am looking forward to that wrestling i've never really uh covered um i actually have written for the monitor, uh, a story about the new uh, Bo wrestling coach, Bill Chavanel, and I'm working on another uh, wrestling story right now. Um, I also, at a different publication, I uh, interned for, wrote about an Olympic wrestler and got to talk to her briefly. But it is a very niche sport, as you and I both know, but it is a very intense sport. I mean, these wrestlers really take what they do very seriously and they are in incredible physical shape because you have to be in order to be good at that, at that sport. So um, it's not a sport I have a lot of familiarity with, but it's one that I've never attempted and never want to attempt. <laughs> yeah. It's, it was, it was not my sport either uh, growing up, but, um, but 
Dual meets and uh, tri meets start on Wednesday. So usually every week a team will have two matches. They'll have a midweek dual match. Maybe there's three teams if they're smaller teams. Um, and then usually a tournament on the weekends. Uh, wrestling previews are the next thing to come up. I spoke with uh, Concord High head coach Ham Munnell, who's been with the Tide for 28 years. Uh, and he talked a lot about how they have a lot of their infrastructure back. They've they've rebuilt their youth program. Uh, a lot of the, the summer clinics and, and spring tournaments that they've been able to do in past years that were really key for the program that we're not able to run because of COVID are back. And so that uh, has already seen an increase in numbers at the, uh, at least at the underclassmen level. So we'll have some wrestling results start to come in this week. Previews uh, will probably be the next preview that you, you see out. Maybe uh, maybe Tuesday will be the wrestling previews. And then Friday night, Division Three basketball is here. I spoke uh, have spoken with the Concord Christian girls basketball coach and the Kearsarge boys basketball coach. Concord Christian, the defending Division Four champions, ran the table. Perfect 20-0 season. And... They are now moving up a division, so they will be opening division, uh, their Division Three schedule on Friday, as will all of our other Division Three teams. So that's coming up on Friday night. Also coming up on the 12th, we have, so Eric, we've talked about some of our traditional sports. We've talked about some of our individual sports. Gymnastics, we do not have any gymnastics teams, but we do have independent athletes. So starting on the 12th, we will have maybe one or two um, athletes from not all, but some of our schools competing in gymnastics meets throughout the year. Uh, we will uh, have some coverage of the championships. We get those results in. We probably will not get in individual meets along the way, but we'll definitely have something on the championships. We usually have some individuals uh, from our area do well in that. Um, so that is something that will be starting. Also on the 12th, we have our first hockey game of the season. We have bow hockey starting on December 12th. We have the Brady girls starting on December 13th and on the 14th, everyone else. So a uh, week and a half hockey in the books, definitely a very popular sport up here. Something that uh, in New Hampshire, um, people take very seriously at several levels. Eric, I know we've spoken about this. Uh, you are a big winter sports I, uh, I believe hockey and basketball, uh, definitely, uh, up there with your favorite sports. If I remember correctly, it is correct. Uh, always been a big hockey fan, but, uh, hockey was not huge at my high school growing up. Um, we had, I think a co-op team with one of the other towns, but it, because it's not, there's no rink at the high school, it's not very easy to go to games and whatever. So I never got to experience that. So I am looking forward to covering hockey, especially uh, I've heard a lot of great things about some of the players around here and a lot of them trying to play in college. So definitely looking forward to writing some stories about that. Yeah, uh, Concord High, three-time defending champions, if you count the co-championship year um, uh, in COVID in 2020. But, you know, three-time defending uh, defending champions, I believe, um, and they look very strong. They have last year's player of the year. I believe last year's player of the year, Brooks Craig, is returning. He is has stayed at Concord High for his senior year. I believe he is suiting up, um, so should be some great 
hockey certainly conquered boys hockey headlining the teams in our area. Uh, and then December 13th, Division One and Division Two hoops underway. Um, so we'll have some coverage on that. As, uh, Concord High, especially two brand new coaches, uh, Tim Latora, who uh, really helped rebuild the girls program, is now going to be starting at the boys. Uh, and then we have a new coach for the Concord High girls team filling in Coach Latora's spot. So definitely some some stuff on that um, that'll be coming your way sometime uh, this month. And then indoor track. Eric, you know we can't get through a podcast without me talking about a running or an endurance sport. Indoor track, after it, uh, I guess now a three-year hiatus, is back on December seventeenth. Um, it'll be the first, the first time since the 2019-20 season um, that we've had indoor track. Indoor track did not happen for the last two years because the only venues that have indoor tracks are college campuses, and they obviously were, you know. Closing, uh, closing their bubbles for COVID for the last couple of years, but they have opened up their doors to allow high schools back in. So there are going to be meets on those college campuses on weekends and really not sure what to expect. Um, the last time there was a competitive indoor track season this year, seniors were freshmen. Um, so really not sure what to expect uh, as far as team results, as far as individual results. The The track committee has not even set qualifying standards yet uh, for the championship meets because they figure there haven't been results in, in two years to look at. So who, who knows really what we're going to, what we're going to see. Um, but definitely exciting to have that sport back in the mix. That's going to be something you'll see results coming up on weekends. And then Eric, a big thing up here, sure how big it was in, in uh, Long Island where you were, but up here in New Hampshire, New England, skiing, really big sport up here. Um, possibly December 21st is the earliest, um, is the earliest Alpine ski race that I saw on any of our local uh, team calendars. Those don't always happen depending on depending on the snow that we have. So maybe some December ski results, uh, but definitely in January, uh, Alpine or downhill skiing, uh, Nordic slash cross-country skiing in full swing. I know New Hampshire is the only state that has varsity ski jumping as a sport. I don't think we have any individuals doing it this year. I haven't seen it on any team calendars, and I have not seen anything on the NHIAA website for any of the um, any uh, ski jumping or any ski championships yet at all. Um, but we should have some ski results coming your way starting in January. And skiing is one of those sports where you might have one coach who's um, coaching two teams. So not necessarily a co-op, but if you have a really small team, like, you know, maybe you have three skiers from one school and maybe a couple skiers from another school, they might train together and have the same schedule and things like that. So traditional sports, co-ops, independent athletes, swimming. I didn't mention we have, um we have teams that, I guess the term they use is piggyback off of one another. So they're not necessarily, they're not coaching multiple teams, but for example, we have one Hopkinson swimmer that's going to be traveling with the Kearsarge swim team and, and not that Hopkinson athlete will, um, will compete on the Kearsarge schedule in past years. Bo has, uh, has had a Hopkinson swimmer tag along with them. Um, 
John Stark has some swimmers that that tag along with the Gothstown team. So, you know, it, it's uh, it makes for some interesting uh, compiling all the results and, and getting all the stuff in is interesting when you have, um, you know, one coach serving multiple teams and and uh, with some of these non uh team uh, not traditionally team sports especially um but it's it's exciting there's a lot of unique stuff you know those of you who like you know your typical hockey and basketball there will certainly be plenty of that but a lot of uh niche uh, niche sports too which is very i don't know how is it niche niche i don't I know both either both way. or both yeah. work either way you have a lot of sports that fall into that category throughout the winter so uh, it's very exciting. There's a lot, a lot for everyone. I'm very excited to um, basketball was really fun last Friday and definitely uh, got me excited for the winter season. Yeah, absolutely. I was at uh, Pembroke boys basketball practice last week, working on a story about uh, one of their assistant coaches. Um, and it was great to be, I, I guess I don't say great to be back in high school gym because it's always hot and sweaty and feels a little gross in there, but uh for for the sake of getting excited about basketball uh it was it was good to be there i know they're very excited about the team they have uh, talking to head coach mike donnell um they they expect to compete for a state championship this year so um they'll certainly be a team to watch they get underway against merrimack valley um in a couple of weeks so they're they're very excited for that opportunity um couple things before we get to my interview with kyle schofield um I had a story about a week and a half ago now, or I guess it was a week ago, um, about Title IX. And this summer was the 50th anniversary of the law that um, helped really uh, skyrocket female participation in athletics. And I would encourage every anyone that hasn't seen it to check it out because it was really great to hear from a few of the female coaches and one of the female athletic directors in our coverage area. There aren't that many female coaches in our coverage area. Um, just in the fall, fewer than half of the girls sports teams had a female coach. Only one of the boys teams had a female coach and only three out of, I believe, 27 co-ed teams had a female coach. So there is still a lot of work to be done in that front. And it was great to hear from some of those coaches on what they are doing to encourage, you, you know, their athletes to maybe think about coaching in the future and, and keeping them involved in their sport, because it is very important um, to continue to grow uh, these sports, because um, as all the coaches said, uh, it, it's important. I mean, there's lots of great male coaches out there who are great role models for those athletes, but it's also very important for those high school uh, female athletes to have female coaches to look up to and learn from and, and you know, have more shared experiences with. So I um, would encourage anybody to check that, that out because it is a very important topic and it was uh, really great to be able to write about as we're kind of in between seasons here. Um and then the other thing to mention too, we'll uh, you'll hear more from Kyle Schofield about referees, but Dan, refereeing shortage is a big issue. It's not super new, but it's one that the consequences of are starting to become more and more challenging for teams and leagues to deal with because, you know, as you'll hear hear Kyle talk about, I mean, sometimes they may need to start scheduling football games on Wednesdays and Thursday nights because there's not enough referees to cover overlapping Friday, Saturday games. Uh, you know, there may be, you know, so 
And there's lots of reasons for this, as, as you'll hear Kyle get into. The one that everyone assumes is because referees don't like getting yelled at and they quit or something along those lines. That's certainly part of it. And if you're one of those people that likes to scream at referees, hopefully after listening to Kyle, you'll be a little bit nicer to them when you next attend a game uh, because they admit that they will make mistakes, but nobody cares more about getting things right than they do. And they're doing their best. They're making, you know, decent money for what they're doing, but not a ton. Uh, they're doing it because they love being around the the, the kids and, and the athletics and they want to play a role in that. And I think it's important for everyone to understand that. So um, Dan, any thoughts on this issue? Cause I know you've been around a lot of events also and uh, the referees get yelled at quite a bit. They do. They certainly do. And you know, it's interesting. I, I think doing this uh, heading into winter is, uh, is especially um, good timing because the, Something about these indoor venues, they're very, very intimate. You know, basketball, you're you're right there. I'm watching a basketball game Friday night. I'm, you know, mere feet behind the the bench, you know, the coaches and the athletes. And, um, you know, on the other side where all the fans are, they're very close to the floor. Um, you know, and, and talking to basketball players, that's something that a lot of them like about the sport is everyone is right there. You know, you're very close. It, it does create a great atmosphere. Um, but, you know, that also means that the, the refs are closer to that atmosphere as well. And um, with these indoor venues, with everyone close together, it can, it can get uh, not necessarily more intense than would with an outdoor sport, but you hear it more um, yeah. in, in a setting like that. And you talked about how this has been, not a new issue, but the consequences are becoming more and more clear. Um, that's something that we've seen on our end. We've we've seen more Thursday night, not this fall. I don't think we had any this fall, but last year we did have Thursday night football games on our master schedule. Um, I covered a playoff football game at 10 a.m. because that crew was in Bow for a 10 a.m. game. And then they had to be in Pelham, maybe, you know, 45 minutes, an hour away for three o'clock. So those refs were wrapping up a game at, you know, 1230, uh, 1230, maybe, you know, packed up by one. And then they're getting right down the road south um, for another game that's starting, you know, less than two hours from from then. So it's definitely something that we're seeing the consequences of from a, a logistical perspective. And, you know, as you say, we talk to a lot of athletic directors. We talk to a lot of um, coaches and athletes. We do not talk to a lot of referees. And I think it's good to you know, things like this are important. So they're less anonymous figures and, and, you know, the, the person behind the, I don't know, the whistle, if you will, um, become more obvious. And I've been thinking about this a lot, Eric, because I have been watching the world cup a lot over the last couple of weeks, huge soccer fan. I am, I am, I have, I have set my Sunday schedule around watching England and Senegal at two. That is the level of, of fandom that I have for the world cup. And uh, uh, the world cup uses VAR, technology for the instant replays where they're looking at goals and offsides calls and things like that. And, and what struck me watching the world cup and seeing them use this VAR technology is the level of, of precision and detail that they're catching using VAR to make these calls and how the referees that are uh, officiating our NHIAA games are not using that technology there's one, maybe two referees at any given time that are trying to catch this stuff. And, you know, the level of precision that the professionals rely on using, you know, using fully automatic 
technology and, and and video replay is absolutely absurd and you know to to think that we're going to have you know one individual with you know their own two eyes trying to keep you know a sense of multiple things at a time to assume they're going to have that same level of precision um and expect you know the same have the same expectations of those referees as you would for a referee at any other level is is really absurd and you know you look at like you know you look at offsides in soccer and like well how can you expect a referee to like see where a player is that's that's running downfield and the player kicking the ball at the same time. Like the fact that we expect referees to do this is, which is kind of like, I don't know, not physically impossible, but physically improbable. Like is kind of, you know, insane to me in basketball, you know, there's a lot of contact and, and you're trying to keep an eye on, on multiple things and hockey, you know, same thing. You're following the puck. There's things happening, you know, elsewhere on the ice. So it, that's really struck me watching the world cup, just, you know, how, how it's you you can still get it wrong and and how you're paying that close attention to the level of detail with the technology and then you have our referees at the NHIAA level who are trying to you know do the same thing without that technology and and yet we still hold you know close to the same expectations for them um it's kind of astounding to me when I when I started thinking about it so I'm very happy um Big thanks to Kyle for for agreeing to do this interview. I, I, this was not my task, um, so I don't know how difficult it was. I, I, I don't know if it would be easy to get referees and officials to to chat about this stuff. Um, oh, they openly and on record. They so love it was not. Oh, they do. Oh, good. Well, look, I'm glad then I'm glad that, you know, you're giving them the opportunity to do so, because I think it's a very, very under it's a reported story, but an underreported story at the same time. And it's good to hear uh, officials talk about it from their own perspective with their own experience. So. Yeah, absolutely. So let's get to my interview with Kyle Schofield. Very glad to be joined by Kyle Schofield. Kyle is a football official in New Hampshire. If you've been to a, a NHIA football game, good chance Kyle's been refereeing. You just may not know uh, that it's him because referees like to fly under the radar. But Kyle, we're glad to have you on the show. Thanks for coming on to talk about some uh, refereeing. Hey, Eric. Thanks for having me. I appreciate uh, being here. So for people that don't, know you which is probably a good portion of our listeners because people don't pay attention to who the refs are all the time which is unfortunate because you're a great guy and you've done a lot of great work in the area like what is your background in refereeing how long have you been doing it and and why do you like it so much yeah great question so i have been officiating for about 20 years i started when i was 18 years old Uh, i currently officiate uh, high school football and women's college basketball I'm also in charge of the apprentice program, so the training and recruiting of new officials for the state of New Hampshire for football. I got into officiating. My father, when I was growing up, was a sports official. He actually still is. Uh, So growing up, I used to go to his games and and really enjoyed it and really enjoyed the camaraderie and everything I saw. So as soon as I had the opportunity, I put on the stripes myself. So you would said that you are in charge of recruiting and training the new referees for the New Hampshire Football Officials Association. What does that look like? So it's a, it's a two-year training program. 
We typically start just after July 4th every year, and the program runs from mid-July until the end of October. Uh, it basically coincides with the football season. Um, and we have weekly classes, some are virtual, some are in person, but where we review the rules with people, we review the mechanics, the things, you know, the officials are supposed to be doing on the field. Um, and then obviously we get on the field and work games. So we, we start in mid-July, so that way when high school scrimmages roll around in mid-August, our new guys are ready to hop on the field with some more experienced officials and, and learn how to referee. One of the reasons, and really the main reason that I, I wanted to have you on uh, the podcast was because um, hopefully by the time this uh, podcast is released, my story about the referee shortage in the state of New Hampshire is out as well, and that's an issue that you and, and referees across all sports have been dealing with for several years now. Can you just talk about you know what that's looked like and how that's impacted your ability to do your job? Yeah, so it's this is not a New Hampshire-specific problem. It's not a football-specific problem. This is really a nationwide problem in all sports. Um, the sports officials, the average age is getting older. I know as people go to games and they look at the guys on the field or on the court, you know, the average age in New Hampshire for a high school official is, is late 50s, early 60s in most sports. And guys are retiring, and, and not enough young people are, are interested and are signing up and joining us um and there's there's a variety of reasons for that um some of it has to do with pay not increasing at the same rate as as other industries especially when we have inflation like we do these days um and some of it is just you know who wants to go out there and get on a football field or a basketball court or a baseball diamond and get screamed at by parents and coaches and players for two hours it's it's not a very appealing value proposition <laughs> Can you talk, I mean, obviously, and, and when I interviewed you for the story, we, we discussed this, you know, everyone always wants to make the shortage, the ref shortage only cause be because parents are nuts and, and coaches are screaming at, at officials from start to finish and crazy stuff is happening. Um, and, and you've experienced some of that, but that's not, you know, from your experience, the main driver of why older guys are retiring and maybe younger people are hesitant to join, right? Yeah, I, I think there's a variety of issues. That's certainly one of them, but that's not, I, in my opinion, that's not the only issue. Um, in my experience, especially, and I'm, I'm very fortunate, I only officiate high school and college games. Um, in my experience, the younger the athletes are, the younger the kids are, the worse the parents are specifically. My personal theory on that is when, you know, little Jimmy is eight years old and the best quarterback on the football team, his parents think they're looking at the next Tom Brady. Uh, but after little Jimmy starts playing high school football and and his parents realize that, yeah, he was an exceptional eight-year-old, but there's a hundred other kids in the state who are just as good as him, you know, they're... Uh, their opinion of him changes a little and their expectations come back to earth and they realize, hey, he might be a great high school athlete, but even getting to the college level is difficult, much less making the pros. So that's why I think, you know, the attitudes are worse the younger the kids are. But back to your, your question, the, the abuse is one thing, but you really don't experience the abuse until you officiate. Um, so occasionally people do leave because of that. Our biggest problem is just age. You know, young people aren't getting involved like they used to. 
You know, we need college kids getting involved. We need people getting involved before they have a family. Because it's really tough when you have, you know, a family at home, you have a couple young kids to say, oh, you know, two or three nights this week, I'm going to be out. And instead of having dinner with my kids and putting my kids to bed, I'm going to go officiate. It's a lot easier when you start before you have the kids. So then it's everybody's on the same page going into it. Um, and, and it's something you enjoy. I mean, at the end of the day, the money is not bad, especially at the college money level. The money is great. But at the high school level, you know, we get paid 90 or or $100 to go referee a high school football game. It, it's not a bad check for going out there for a couple hours and staying involved with the game and, and having a good time. But the real thing is the camaraderie with the other officials, and and the it's it's a lot of fun, and you can't experience that unless you do it. So people aren't getting out there, aren't experiencing that, and just aren't aren't signing up. I mean, this year we only had, I think, fifteen new people, uh, which was great. It was our best year in a long time as far as new football officials. But when we're losing ten a year and we're already forty short. 15 new people is not cutting it. We need 20 new people every year at the moment to just keep up and get back to where we need to be. What is what like what happens when you guys have this like shortage of officials? Like how does that impact, you know, whether it's scheduling or maybe just the the, the effectiveness of of the officials during games? Yeah, so it impacts a couple things. A scheduling. I mean, we've had to tell high schools you know, not for varsity games yet, but for JV games or junior high games, hey, you can't play that night. You know, you, you want to play Thursday or whatever, we don't have the officials for that. You you can play, you know, Saturday at 2 or whatever the time is, but we've had to have games moved just because we couldn't cover them. Um, the other issue we've had is, you know, like two years ago, I don't believe it happened this year, but high school football playoffs – we had guys working double headers on a Saturday for playoff games. So, you know, they, my crew, we had a one o'clock game at one site and then half the guys had a five o'clock game at another site. So this was, you know, division one football playoffs and that afternoon or the evening game, those guys have already worked a full game that day. And it's, I'm, we gave them a great game. You know, we covered what we needed to cover, but if I'm a coach, that's not what I want to see. Um, you know, the same if when we're moving JV games and freshman games around, now you have guys working football games five nights a week, and and fatigue comes into it, both physical and mental, and it's it's tough to be sharp on a Friday night for the big varsity game when you've worked JV or freshman games Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. Yeah, I'm glad you mentioned that because I think – I think it's important for, for people to understand that, yes, there is a reasonable expectation among coaches and, and parents and players that the officiating will be, you know, there's a standard that's expected. But at the same time, when you guys are out there doing, as you said, five games a week or two games in a day, like these are people and, and this is not, you know, automatic stuff. It requires a lot of focus and concentration and it may lead to some things getting missed or, or just, you know, suboptimal uh, uh, officiating because you guys are just worn down. Um, yeah, and, and nobody nobody holds officials to a higher standard than we hold ourselves to, you know. And, and we're not perfect. I've I've been officiating twenty years. I've never had a perfect game. But every Saturday morning after a Friday night football game, I'm sitting having breakfast with the kids on my iPad, watching film from the game the night before, to review plays, to review stuff I think I might have missed, to review my positioning, to review my mechanics. And, you know, by, by 10 o'clock Saturday morning, 
there's emails that have got out. There's text messages. I'll send other guys plays. They'll send me plays. We're critiquing each other. And we're constantly trying to improve. So we know better than anybody what working that, you know, doubleheader feels like. Or, you know, working this is my, when you count youth games, some guys, it could be their eighth football game this week. And they know what that feels like and how that affects them. And, and we truly hold ourselves to a higher standard than anyone does. So I want to get back to what we were talking about before with just the issues that you and you know officials that for every sport have had issues with recruiting younger people to become referees. How have you, how has your organization approached, you know, addressing that issue and maybe trying to make it more appealing to younger people? Yeah, so, I mean, we've, we've gone out, and I, I personally try to talk to a lot of media. You know, I, I try to get on WMUR right around our prime recruiting time in May and June, um, as well as the beginning of the football season. I try to, you know, we talk to the newspapers. Um, we try to do some social media campaigns. Um, and the other big thing we do is, you know, when, when teams scrimmage before the year, when they have either scrimmages with other teams or against themselves, and we provide officials for that, I try to talk to the teams after and get them together and say, hey, guys, you know, you're playing football now. That's great. But in five years or four years when you've graduated high school and you're not playing anymore, this is a great way to stay involved. And planting that seed early with the kids who are still playing, because if if we don't plant that seed early, you know, in five years when they're driving back by the high school, looking at the football field and remembering how much fun playing was, saying, oh, yeah, you know, I – I could be an official now instead of just driving by and not even thinking about it, but trying to get that seed planted early um, next spring, I'm going to talk to a number of college intramural programs to try to get young people involved. But I, we love people of all ages. We love new officials period, but our, our prime people we want to talk to are, you know, people under 25 and getting them involved young so they can do this for the next 40 years. Right. Because as you said, I mean, the, the pro the biggest problem is, the guys that have been doing it for so long are, are are just aging out of it, and you don't have anybody coming in to replace them. So there's that added uh, emphasis on getting younger people involved. Now, uh, you you've touched on these a little bit, Kyle, throughout the conversation. But you know why why do you enjoy refereeing so much, and and why do you like what what are your pitches to younger people besides just kind of staying around the sport that they may have played growing up? Yeah, so, you know, I, I love sports. I love being involved with sports. Um, so that's that's a huge plus for me. Unfortunately, I was not blessed with a lot of natural athletic talent. So, you know, playing in college or professionally was not in the cards. So this is a good way to still stay involved in my late 30s now. I'm, I'm still involved with sports on a daily basis. Um, the camaraderie, the group of guys we work with is, is amazing. You meet people from all walks of life doing all different things. Um, and there's there's a ton of com- communication during the season, during the off season, um, going out after games, you know, having dinner together and, and talking about the game, talking about what we could improve on. Um, it's a great way to make some extra cash, you know, as, especially at the college level and the higher levels. It, it pays well. Uh, but even high school, you know, if, if you're in your early 20s, starting out your career and you can make an extra three, four, five hundred dollars a week officiating football games during the football season, that's great. So that helps um, staying involved, giving back to the community. And, and the other thing that's tough to quantify for people that haven't done it is the skills you pick up officiating 
you know, relate back to the real world and my real job as well, because I'm dealing with conflict resolution. I'm dealing with decision making. I'm dealing with all those things on the court or on the field that translate and, and help me out in real life in my real job. The, the last thing I wanted to ask is just um, we've talked about how, re, you know, ref abuse is an issue and, and maybe in New Hampshire it's not as prevalent as in other parts of the country. Um, but I, I imagine that this level of outreach that you and your colleagues have uh, attempted with the current players maybe has helped bridge the divide between the teams and the officiating. Is that is that a fair assessment? You know, I, I would like to think it has, but I, I have I have something I remind myself and the people I'm officiating with before every game is as football coaches, basketball coaches, by and large, are great people. But as soon as that ball's kicked off or thrown up to start a basketball game, they suffer from two and a half hours of temporary insanity, and I, I can't hold anything they do against them. Um, you know, it's it's helped a little, and, and as the players realize we're real people, it I, I like to think it helps. But you know, during a game, during a competition, I, people sometimes forget those things, but that's okay. And that and and you know, how does that get discussed when you're training new officials on you know in terms of just how to pre- mentally prepare for that type of stuff and how to handle it when it comes up? So, so it's funny. One of my favorite things to do when we're training new football officials is I'll play the part of a coach. Um, and we always try to, you know, acknowledge coaches and respond to them because the worst thing you can do is ignore them. Because if you ignore someone who's already angry, that's, that's certainly not going to calm them down. Um, but, you know, we, we coach them through some responses they can have, some things they can say. Because most of the time, you know, and if, if you know you miss something, it's okay to tell a coach, you know what, coach, you're right. I missed that. I was out of position or I missed, I didn't see that, or I was looking somewhere else. And typically if you acknowledge that with a coach, they can move on because they just want to know you heard them and you've understood their complaint or their point of view. And we're human. We're going to miss stuff. And acknowledging that is, can go a long way in, in moving on to the next play because if a coach is yelling at you and a play's going on, they need to worry about coaching too. They need to get back to the game just as much as we do. So very rarely do they want to stay, you know, engaged in a lengthy conversation instead of coaching their team. Kyle, anything else that you want to add about uh, refereeing in New Hampshire, how people can get involved, uh, anything else? Yeah, so if they're interested in officiating football, they can go to our website, nhfoa.net. And there's a link that says become an official they can click on, and that'll put them in contact with me. Um, on the NHIAA website, they actually have contacts for officiating for uh, every sport. So you can certainly, you know, reach out if you're interested in baseball or softball or track. You know, it's every, every official needs sports uh, officials or every sport needs officials. Um, so you can reach out that way. And, and I can't stress enough how, how much fun it is, how great it is to stay involved and, and all the wonderful things I get out of it that I know all my fellow officials do as well. You know, once, once we get somebody out on the field, they stick around. It's just a challenge of getting them out there. 
All right, Kyle Schofield, thank you so much for joining the podcast. It's great to talk about refereeing, and maybe people who are our, our vast audience will be a little bit kinder next time they see you out on the football field. Hey, thank you for having me. It was great speaking to you. And yeah, if, if everyone was a little nicer, we would always appreciate it. All right, Dan. Lots to look forward to with winter season. I think we covered all of that. I don't know how much more there is to to really wrap up. We got all those sports that Dan mentioned before uh, coming up. So we're certainly very excited to bring that to you. And uh, yeah, thanks again to Kyle for joining us. Dan, it was great to be back and uh, looking forward to the winter season. We will talk to everybody next week. Mm